0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. One of my favorite scripture readings is read typically at the, the Easter Vigil, the worship service that we celebrate on Saturday night before Easter It's called a vigil because it's the night before, not because it's especially long, especially the way we do it. Uh, It's about an hour and a half, not more, so come if you can. Uh, They can be long, but even when they're shorter than ours, um, Easter vigils often include a particular reading from the book of Ezekiel, Now, I love the Valley of the Dry Bones passage in Ezekiel as well, but my other favorite one is from a different section. God says to God's people who have been exiled and cut off and feel forgotten, God says, I will bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your impurities. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. A new heart and a new spirit. That promise comes to God's people when they're worn out, They're tired, they feel beaten down, and they've almost given up. But God gives them hope, and God makes a promise. Easter itself, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, brings the ultimate in the new creation. And the whole season of Easter later is a prolonged celebration and meditation on what that means for us, that we have the hope of eternal life. But every Sunday is a little Easter, and so even in the season of Lent, we get a sample of that joy to unfold even more fully in front of us and within us. We get a sample in today's scriptures. We get a foretaste of God's life-giving spirit. We see a bit of it in the reading from Genesis, and then even more in the Gospel, the Genesis reading is, is well known to us. It's a snippet from the longer section about Abraham and Sarah from those stories that are, are so beautifully portrayed in our icon over to the left, where you see Abraham in the far left and Sarah to the far right and the three strangers or angels or messengers of God in the middle. Through those messengers, God says to Abraham and Sarah, Get up and go. I've got a plan for you, and everything's going to be different. And so Abram and Sarai, at that point, begin to follow God into a new place. Over and over again, their faith is put to the test. They must have thought that life was going to play out a certain way. But they're, sur- they're surprised by God. We're told by Scripture that they're well up in years, and maybe they think they've sort of seen it all. But just when they begin to get their head around a new challenge, there seems to be an even greater challenge around the corner. God teaches Abram and Sarai to to live on faith in a new way, to to be open, uh, to listen, and to look, and to live toward the unfolding promises of God. Out of all of this, God says to Sarah, guess what? You're going to have a child. And she burst out laughing. (laughs) And so the child that she has, Isaac, they name the word that means laughter. Itzach means she laughs. We'd laugh too, probably, if we knew exactly what God had in store for us. Sometimes we'd like to know, we'd love to know what God's going to do with each one of us, with us as a family, as a group, as a church, um, next year, and in five years, and in 10 years, and in 20 years. But if God really showed us, we'd probably burst out laughing, not believing it. Not believing it for its goodness. Not believing it because we probably wouldn't recognize ourselves at who we become in faith. I was talking with someone this week about uh, we, we share a, a kind of a pet peeve of a tendency in the Episcopal Church to uh, to spend all of our time and energy lamenting that we don't draw more young people into church. And so the denomination throws enormous um, energy and resources into wooing and attracting young people. That's all well and good. But meanwhile, we seem to always be attracting middle-aged and older people. And we're always going to have older people. So why don't we put some resources into programming and supporting older people and be the church not so much we want to be, but the church we are. Now, I'm trying to preach to myself and realizing that I could do a whole lot more. And what, is it, what does it mean to to mature in faith? What does it mean to live in faith in our, in our 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s and hundreds, as Kit Bradshaw is showing us? My friend and I were talking, and we, we thought, you know, a part of the problem is the stereotype, the stereotype that older people whether they be folks we know and love or put up with, or Abraham and Sarah, but older people get set in their ways and they want things a certain way and aren't open to change. But that's just not true. Look around. Look at the history of our faith. It's just not true. Story after story reveals to us how people older in age and experience, in in life story, change their direction entirely and stop one thing and begin another. We see it with Abraham and Sarah. We certainly see it with Nicodemus in the gospel, just like Sarah laughing. Nicodemus probably laughed to himself when Jesus told him he had to be born again or born anew. I mean, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a a Jew of great spiritual learning and development. He's he's spent years reading and studying and praying. He knows his faith. He knows God. And here Jesus suggests that maybe there's something entirely different to learn. I imagine Nicodemus bursting out laughing, thinking, what could this possibly be? And yet he laughs like Sarah. He laughs with faith and he follows Jesus. He wants to be born again, born of water in the Spirit, born from above, whatever it is Jesus is talking about. Nicodemus is up for the challenge, yet another example of someone who in some ways looked like they were stuck in their course for life, and yet throws it all up in the air to do something new with God's Spirit inside of him. We might be tempted sometimes to think of our spiritual life as predictable and linear. We can be tempted to think of the season of Lent itself as sort of parallel to the season of spring. Um, Yes, it brings a certain growth, but it just happens naturally, whether we're part of it or not. And yet, the kind of spiritual rebirth experienced by Abraham and Sarah and Nicodemus and all who who believe in Jesus Christ is anything but natural. It's not the natural course of things. It interrupts the natural course. It doesn't follow the normal order. To be born again is to almost hear the record scratch. as God adjusts creation to make for some new possibility. That's what happens every time we baptize. That's what happens every time we say to Jesus, yes, yes again. We might hope our spiritual life could be a little more predictable and linear, but the spiritual life is just that. It's a life. It's a life that's filled with disruptions and surprises. It's a life that is interrupted by a a diagnosis from a doctor that could change everything. It can be interrupted or changed by the economy or by a downsizing at work or a disaster or a sickness or, yes, a virus that seems to be creeping towards us. All these times, we can be tempted to feel like we're in a lost place, like those people of Israel so long ago, stuck in a wilderness, unable to see God's will and way very clearly. And maybe that's so. Maybe we can't see God's promise just yet. We're like Nicodemus, stumbling in the dark, asking for help, trying to feel our way forward. And yet that's the way of faith. Even when we can't quite see the light yet, we trust that morning will come. In such times, words may fail, theology may fail, scripture might not come to the rescue, but we do have one another. We have one another. When someone near us is struggling, it's not always the most helpful thing to recommend a book or plot a strategy or, or offer words of encouragement, though all of these things have their place. So often the most powerful presence of God is for us to simply be present, to offer ourselves in whatever way the person may need us. If there is some part of us that has known God's rebirth in our lives, if there's some part of us that has felt that rekindling of God's spirit, even when we've been down, if there's some part of us that can live as a witness to God's power for new life, of new birth, then that presence can be a help to someone else. Abraham and Sarah became spiritual leaders because they had been through the wilderness. They had survived. But they had lived plenty a day where they doubted God's presence. They didn't know what to do next. They had no idea how the story would end. They had gone through their own versions of dark nights of the soul. But they had been found by the light again and again and again so that they could eventually be witnesses of that good light. When I think of Nicodemus... I think of some of the saints I've known in the church and out of the church. I think of the the 83-year-old I know very well, who whenever he has trouble with his iPhone, he goes to the Apple store and asks for help. 83 and going strong. I think of the woman who was laid off from a government-appointed job and she thought life was over as she understood it. Not only had she lost her job, but those who nudged her out did their best to ruin her reputation. And so with lost income came lost health insurance and a loss of a sense of stability, of even knowing who she was anymore. And so it took a little while. But then she teamed up with another woman who had been nudged out of her business. And together they began to to plot and plan and pray And they developed their own consultancy. And so now they, together, well into years that most people are retiring or slowing down, they're going strong and having the time of their lives because they risked opening themselves up to something new and feeling a burst of energy from God and the people around them to do something new through them. You can probably think of your own examples of Abraham and Sarah and Nicodemus, of of folks who have risked, risked all that they were and all that they had in order to follow God in some new way. Just week before last, we observed Ash Wednesday. Those prayers and the liturgy of the day, invited us to sort of relocate ourselves in the drama of life and death and new life, to think about that long narrative and to imagine where we might be in it. And so doing so, we acknowledge the places in which we feel broken, the places where wreckage needs to be cleared away by God. And so we can allow God to begin again with us to reframe the words of Psalm 51, to know in our hearts that God helps us to hear of joy and gladness, that the body that was broken might rejoice. God creates a new heart and a right spirit within us. God gives us the joy of God's saving help again and sustains us with a bountiful spirit. We are delivered from death and we are given new lives for praise. Jesus says that each one of us can be born again, that each one of us can be born from above, born anew again and again and again and again. With God's Spirit within us and around us, we are born anew. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.